you have joined Gear Shifts with Colston R. Edwards, licensed marriage and family therapist. Hey, hey, it's Colston here, and it's Monday, so it's Podcast Monday, and I wanted to welcome you to Season 1, Episode 3 of the podcast Gear Shifts. In Episode 2, our last episode, we defined the various sorts of life transitions that included things like bodily transitions, health, relational, parenthood, educational, employment, and career, societal, international, and even global transitions. So now that we have a pretty healthy foundation for the types of transitions, I'd like to put them into a little bit of category play for us. So this first category, comparing the anticipated and the unanticipated transitions. So with anticipated transitions, this is the one that most people tend to ease into pretty quickly. This is something that you can expect to happen in your life. That's just the really easy breakdown. This is something you can expect to happen in your life. If we think of our day-to-day lives as having some sort of routine or a pretty stable set of events, those events tend to create our days and weeks and eventually into years. This becomes what's called our norm. An anticipated transition would be something that represents a planned change in that norm or in that routine. So sometimes I hear people use the term transition pretty interchangeably with the words plans, goals, and objectives. So I'd like to set aside some caution here that plans, goals, and objectives are vital and they do play certain roles in the anticipated transitions. I will get to that. So the really interesting thing about anticipated or expected transitions, when they occur, they are less likely to cause or trigger a crisis for us humans. Whew, there's hope, right? If we, can, if we can anticipate something or expect something, there's a lot less crisis triggered for us. Because just like it says, we know what to expect, and therefore with our planning and our goals and our objectives, we've had some level of power and some control in maybe defining a lifelong goal. Setting up the objectives or steps along the way helped us get to the goal, and we can feel accomplished in our own right because we made anticipated choices and decisions that led us to this anticipated transition. For example, let's say I'm about to get married. So I'm, I'm standing there and somebody's walking down the aisle. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that my spouse is not a surprise, right? So, so typically an anticipated tra- transition related to life events, if I'm getting married, I'm hoping I've had some say in that, (laughs) Um, or a graduation or a career move. You know, maybe I put in for a promotion. So go back in time with me for a bit. If you can picture it, close your eyes. Unless, of course, you're driving or walking and listening to this podcast, then please, please, please do not close your eyes. (laughs) So I'd like to take you back to 1980. Yes, 1980. I was four years old and beginning kindergarten. Prior to that, I had been in preschool, so I had an anticipated expectation that after preschool, I would transition into kindergarten, okay? So at four years old, I I didn't actually have any concrete understanding that I had been alive on this planet for four years, but I knew that when people asked me how old I was, 
All I had to do was hold up four fingers and keep my thumb down in my palm, and people seemed really, really pleased. I, I didn't even have to talk. Okay, now there may be some people who are thinking, can we go back to the days when you were four? <laughs> but uh, no, not, not happening today. So preschool and kindergarten are some really, really great places for kiddos to start learning about transitions in a more structured and social environment. I learned, right, in preschool and kindergarten that after reading time, there would be nap time. That would be the anticipated transition. When we are done reading, we have finished something, we're moving on to something else. We're transitioning to nap time. If, if on the first day of school, this might have been an unanticipated transition because I hadn't learned the routine yet. And if it was time to transition to nap time after the first day of school, and I didn't want to go to sleep on the blue mat, and I chose during that time to keep poking other people in the ears, then I would also quickly learn about the transition from the classroom to the principal's office. In elementary school, the student council had positions open, you know, typical president, vice president, secretary, treasurer. And I had an anticipated, or I had kind of expected there to be a transition of me as a student council member to the president. Now, don't get me wrong, I just didn't think it and go, boom, it happened, right? I still put in the work, I had to campaign. Um, I actually handed out ribbons. My dad, it was so awesome. He had had these made up at a professional shop. Nobody had ever done that in fifth grade before. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was styling, like, let me tell you, I, I was styling. And, and I had to write a speech and I had to give a speech and, and somehow, you know, people, people voted me in. It was elementary school. But with that, I had to make a decision that I wanted to take on a new role in the student council as the president before I could take action in doing so. So let's look at high school. So particularly my sophomore year of high school. So that's 10th grade. And if anyone can relate to this, if, if anyone else um, took honors courses or advanced placement courses in high school, then you know that the conversation started much earlier than 10th grade about what college or university you were planning to attend. Right? This is kind of an expectation. It's a, it, it could be a norm for the, for the culture that I'm in. Um, just like friends, some, some of my friends in high school, if they were sexually active without protection, then there was an anticipated transition to parenthood or to the clinic, um, or their parents were going to become grandparents, right? So, I mean, there are some other options, but those are kind of the three, the three major. So, so you may be asking yourself, what is the point of talking about anticipated transitions? So again, I'm going to reiterate, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So everything for me boils down to the learning. What is the level of my satisfaction? What is the level of my frustration or the level of stress? What, most importantly, what is the lesson I was to learn from this? Often with anticipated transitions, the lesson is about what I can accomplish. I thought I could do it. It's about time I do it. So I kind of step into that. So when these transitions happen at the time you expect or you have planned for, there's a great deal to learn about how this meets and supports your needs, right? And so those are needs that are physical, emotional. They could be professional, spiritual, social. So what about those high stress, high frustration, hit you upside the head with no warning transitions? And that leads me into unanticipated transitions. These are events that are unexpected and don't typically have a particular time when they are most likely to occur. 
So whether that is based on cultural norms, religious expectations, societal standards, these events don't typically have a time when they are most likely to occur. For example, a transition having to do with maybe health problems or a new diagnosis or getting laid off of work or getting fired. I mean, in fact, in the land of pandemic right now, we've moved from in-person to online employment and even online education. A sadder side of anticip- or an unanticipated transition, walking down the street, minding your own business, and you become a victim of a crime. All of these are unanticipated transitions. So this, this is the key. This is where the learning happens. These transitions, they, they can be stressful transitions with potential for stimulating learning and development even greater than anticipated transitions. I'm going to repeat that one more time. These stressful transitions have the potential for stimulating learning and development even greater than anticipated transitions. So when something like a health problem develops or we're let go from a job perhaps that we were passionate about or we, you know, it's a job that pays the bills or a relationship ends that we never saw the end coming. I'm not trying to downplay how extremely painful those experiences can be because they do. They essentially rock the very equilibrium and foundation from which we function. These transitions exist outside of our expectations. These are things that you have not planned for and they don't factor in as part of your life vision. I I can't say that in the last 20 years working in the mental health field that I have ever come across someone who tells me with all sincerity, hey, Colston, you know, I've got it planned. I've got the next five to 10 years of my life planned out. And at about the seven, seven and a half year mark, I'm going to get fired from a job. You know, someone else, you know, they're not going to come in and say, you know, I'm thinking... Probably I'm looking at my time frames here. I'm planning for my life vision and probably sometime in my late 20s, early 30s. I think I think that that would be a good time to develop diabetes because that'll be more manageable. You know, because 20s, you know, early 30s, I'll still be physically fit. I'll still be able to go to a gym. I'll have a job where I can afford the gym membership. So, yeah, if, if I'm going to get diabetes, that's the time I want to do it. So what about planning ahead? You know, we're not leaving everything up to chance. And my poor little planners who are listening may be asking, (laughs) you know, what about planning? What about planning ahead? And you plan for plan A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, or, you know, you get a little further and it's plan A, A, B, B, C, C. So, you know, my little planners, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to break your heart a little bit when I tell you this truth. You cannot plan for everything. And you want to know why you cannot plan for everything? Here's two more terms for you. Non-event transitions and sleeper transitions. So non-event transitions, it's the absence of an expected event, right? Where something you expect to happen doesn't happen or it doesn't happen when you want it to. This could be not getting a promotion that you worked really, really hard for not being able to have a child, not getting the house that you had your heart set on. Managing grief and dealing with loss, often the loss of a life you expected, can feature quite strongly within this transition of non-event 
transitions. So then we get into them little sneaky bastards, the, the sleeper transitions. So sleeper transitions are the ones that occur without a great amount of awareness around them. And they do. They, they essentially they sneak up on you. So in one direction, these sleeper transitions, maybe you start noticing this gradual improvement in your competence at work or the development of a skill as a parent or the progress of learning a language, the, the speed of your 5K run. They can also appear negatively, like the slipping away of a friendship or a relationship or becoming disengaged and unmotivated at work. So in 1986, L. Sugarman was credited with a seven-stage model. When experiencing an unanticipated transition, a person may move back and forth between these stages. So I'm going to list off seven stages. But there, there is not some hard set, you know, carved in stone, this is the path you take. You start at step one and move all the way up to step seven. These stages are nonlinear. There, there is no expected order except for the one that you find yourself in. It's pretty similar to grief and loss, and we will get to that in another podcast. But for these seven stages that we get to as a person, we move back and forth between when there's an unanticipated transition. These stages can include feeling immobilized, overwhelmed, unable to respond. Another stage, your mood swings between elation and despair. Another stage, minimization of feelings and anticipating the impact of an event. Another stage, letting go or breaking with the past. Another, testing alternatives. Another stage, searching for meaning. And the last stage that Sugarman lists is integration. And integration is where I really want to focus because truly feeling comfortable with the change as it has been integrated into who you are and how you operate based on what the lesson is there for you to learn. It gets integrated because we have learned how to operate based on the lesson that was there for us to learn. Because you see, meaning assigned to life transitions is what gives it the potential for learning. And th this, is where lear this is where learning happens, right? So on an aside, I, I have a, I, maybe I've got a, a streak, or maybe it's bigger than a streak, of some oppositional defiance. So I've got, I've got some trigger phrases that, that tend to just eat at my, my little therapist's heart. And when I hear people start sentences, and, 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 and I believe they're not trying to be malicious. I believe they're really trying to be helpful to other people. You know, just do it. You know, Nike uses that all the time. You just got to do this. You just got to do it. Like, I've got the answer for all that ails you right now. You've had, in reality, an unexpected life transition that you were not planning for. And you're going to have some feelings around that. So what I find comical is when I hear people say something along the lines of, you just got to expect the unexpected. So just, just for a second, I want you to think about that statement. And, and, and here's what I want you to think. The statement is, you just got to expect the unexpected. But here's the problem. The moment that I expect the unexpected is the exact moment when the unexpected now becomes the expected. 
or at least the anticipated, and is therefore no longer unexpected. So bear with me, making it impossible. It is actually impossible to expect the the unexpected. But okay, I'm off on a tangent, or so it might seem. There are so many times that I hear people in my office with a really, really, really bad case of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And essentially, what happens is we are beating ourselves up for not being able to see the future, for not being able to expect the unexpected. I hear things said like, if only I had done A, B, and C. I should have seen the signs. I knew them better than they knew themselves. I should have known that was going to happen. I should have known that they would find the gun safe in the closet and the key in the laundry room and shoot their friend on accident. Or from a personal note, I should have been able to run faster than the flash to stop that kid years ago when I was working at the group home who decided to run down the snow-covered streets right in front of a Ford F-350 and kill herself. No. No, I shouldn't have been able because I am not the Flash. And you, give yourself some grace, you are not the Flash. And when we continue to hold ourselves to an unrealistic expectation, We are creating a perfect recipe for guilt and shame that is not ours to own. And with that comes the potential, these these unexpected transitions. With this comes the potential for personal growth and reward, which can lead to a much higher level of satisfaction. So how do I take an incident where a kid ran out in front of this big Ford F-350 and died? How in the world can I turn that? What's the lesson to be learned? Sometimes that sounds really callous. You want to know why? Because I'm not at integration when that incident, when that unexpected transition happens. It's unexpected. I have no time to integrate. I felt immobilized and overwhelmed. I mean, we responded because we're trained to respond. First aid, CPR, stopping the big rigs, getting big rig drivers to help us block off this two-lane highway. Later on, my moods, whew, just all over the place. You know, after a while, we start to feel like maybe I'm going crazy. So to protect ourselves, sometimes that that third stage listed on on Sugarman's seven-stage model, minimizing my feelings. Yeah, I tried. I tried. I tried a lot. No, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. I'm a badass. No, no. Wasn't a badass, but also wasn't broken because I was going through the stages. And even when I thought I was at letting go or breaking with the past, boom, I'm back to mood swings or I'm testing out alternative ways to think about things, changing my cognitions changing distorted thinking to more healthy thinking by actually using a therapist who's trained to teach me how to do these things, right? And then boom, I'm back to immobilized and overwhelmed and unable to respond and feeling frozen. And then I start searching what kind of meaning, 
what could possibly be in this? What is the lesson? And if I can't see the lesson, there's still more to learn. So that when that lesson does come, I'm ready for it. And often, you know, we, we make the mistake in thinking that there's only one lesson. And often, there are many, many lessons. And that integration, that truly feeling comfortable with the change as it has been integrated into who I am and how I operate based on the lessons I learned there. So I don't mean to bum anyone out, but these are the realities of unexpected transitions that people face. And the only way, the only real true way that I'm going to be able to find the potential for personal growth and reward, which will lead me to a higher level of satisfaction, is if we have the tools or access to the tools and to the necessary means of healthy coping, being able to find hope in some of the bleakest of situations, and learning how to turn an unexpected transition into a more manageable one. After which, we then get to see so many different ways to transform our pain into something beautiful for us and for those around us. So keeping in mind that an unexpected transition does not, will not, has never defined who you are as a person. There was a group, I love the name, Chumbawamba, used to sing a song. And the line over and over in the chorus was, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Nobody writes a song. I get knocked down. I stayed there. I lost my teeth. I died. That, that's not a song. And if there, if there is a song, please comment and let me know because I will, I will stand corrected. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And that is what we term the turning point. On the next episode of Gear Shifts with Colston, we will talk about turning points. Dedicated.